Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Again, this is, uh, is going to be a good week as well. I know today is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but let's not let that overshadow the, the best holiday of this week, which is Valentine's Day. That's right. Okay. Who's planning to do something special with your spouse this week? Come on. Come on. All right. Well, maybe after my message, you'll be inspired that you actually need to do something. So, <laughs> but uh, hey, um, this uh, this week, as as we enter into it, um, you know this this is a time where we remember not only God's love, but um, just His His design for for loving one another in a marriage relationship. And uh, it's interesting. We were we were you know we've been teaching through this book of First Corinthians, and um, we didn't plan this out, but somehow we landed on the perfect passage to teach on Valentine's Day weekend. And so if you weren't here for our, uh, our Valentine's Day dinner, you are now in for some of, the, some of that teaching that we also uh, received there. Um, but uh, what God's design is for love, for marriage, and also, I, I want to include this as well because Paul talks about it, he talks about singleness and how to honor God in all of these areas. And, uh, you know, when I think about marriage, you know, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, we know God designed marriage. You know, we, we know that from the scripture. Uh, we know that, you know, in, in Genesis chapter, chapter 2, that God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and, and the two shall become one flesh. You know, and, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's, that's what Jesus said. Um, but, you know, as, as we consider the teaching about marriage, what, what I also think is interesting in our society is that marriage is also kind of, kind of weird. Okay? And just, just think for a second about what our society would be like if there was nothing called marriage. Okay? And so you're, you're a dude, and you're, you've been hanging out with this, this chick, and, and, and you're like, hey, look, like, I, I really, you know, I really like hanging out with you. Um, can we do this till we die? <laughs> and she's like, I mean, sure. And you're like, okay, well, take this ring. Put it on your finger, and then everybody's going to know we got an agreement. <laughs> She's like, who's that, who's that dude there that's a pastor? you got to swear to God that you're going to stay with me for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, what's that cake? Yeah, take it. Eat it. Stuff it in your mouth, and then shove it in my face as well. Okay. <laughs> Marriage is interesting, and the things that we do with marriage are also pretty humorous, okay? But all that to say is that uh, as we approach this, uh, this message, what, what Paul wants to communicate is just kind of a reiteration of the teaching of Jesus about marriage. And also, not limited to that, he's going to talk about singleness. He's going to talk about how we use our bodies sexually. And Janet, Janet already really set us up for that. The, the Women's Care Center, man, one of their main ministries is actually teaching people how to do this God's way, how to honor God in this way. 
And you'll find that when we do, that God's ways are best. His design is the best. And so whether you're married or whether you're single, this, this scripture is for you. Paul wants to speak to us, to encourage us around God's design in this way. So let's pray. Let's ask God to, to open up his word in this way to us this morning. Father, thank you. God, that as, as we approach um, kind of a touchy subject even, God, that um, you just show us your goodness in it. God, that, um, that uh, God, no matter what stage, phase we're in in life, God, that we can see that you are good. And God, you encourage us to just honor you wherever you've placed us. And so, Lord, help us to just experience that in a new and fresh way today, to just learn from, from Jesus and, and from this letter that was written to the, the church in Corinth, God. And uh, God, would you just uh, just send your spirit right now just to fill us up and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to back up again because uh, as we approach this passage of Scripture, turn, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a passage about, um, you know, a, a teaching about principles for, for marriage and, and also for, for living a life that honors God in, in your marriage or your singleness. And uh, first of all, what, what I want you to know, we've already kind of touched on this, is that God did design marriage. Okay, and so if, if you know your Bible, at the beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it, it says there that God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper that is fit for him. Now that word helper is an interesting word. It's not just someone that comes and, and holds the hammer for you or, you know, picks up, picks up after you after you do the job. No, the helper word that is used there in Genesis is the word ezer kenegdo. And this is, this is a good word because uh, you as wives, I want, want you to feel value um, because uh, that, that is what God has given you here is, as he opened up the scripture he said, you are an Ezer Kenegdo. What does that mean? Basically describes an equal opposite. An equal opposite. And so if you think about a puzzle, two puzzle pieces coming together to form one image. An image that cannot be seen unless you two come together in unity. An equal opposite. That's what God designed for marriage. That's what God designed for male and for female. And so as you experience that, his design is that you would experience and reflect God in a way that no other human institution can. Jesus, he said in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, he said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And man, what, what an encouragement to us that we're to pursue this, this institution called marriage, um, not only because God designed it, but because he made it good. And he, he teaches us that, that this is God's perfect will for us, that we, we handle our relationships in this way. But as we jump into 
the book of Corinthians, this letter to this church that was in conflict with one another, that, that you know, as Paul is, you know, writing this to correct some of the problems that he's seen, what we see as we jump into chapter 7 is that he moves into answering, uh, you know, uh, correcting a statement that they make. See, they had written a letter to Paul, and in this letter, something had stood out to him, that he was like, you know what, that's not right, and I need to, I need to correct it. It's not absolutely wrong, but it's just, it's just slightly off. And so as, as we jump into 1 Corinthians, he, he begins by, by answering this question. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and you can, you can read this with me, and you'll, you'll kind of see what I mean by it. He says, now concerning the matters of which you wrote... Quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now that's a joy killer, isn't it? Especially on Valentine's Day. Let's preach on that. Okay, let's stop. Okay. No, he's writing to correct this. He's saying, okay, they need to understand God's goodness in his design for this. You know, We've studied the culture that the Corinthian church was in, haven't we? We know, even from some of the teaching that we've also received and some of the correction, there's a lot of sexual immorality in that culture, wasn't there? There's a lot of misuse of what God designed to be good. You know, we, we noticed from chapter, chapter um, 6 last week that he talks about the sexually immoral adulterers, homosexuality, amongst other things. See, even in chapter 5 had talked about sexual immorality that was inside the church. There was incest happening. All these were, were aberrations of God's perfect design for the marriage relationship. And so, I believe that the Corinthians, at least the super spiritual ones, kind of gained this mindset that, okay, if there's all this sexual immorality around us, even, even the religious system was full of sexual immorality, he said, it might be better if we just abstain completely, just stay away from it completely, not do it at all. It's all bad. And, and I'll be honest, you know, growing up in the church, this was one of those things where, you know, I grew up in purity culture. You probably did too. Whereas like, you know, that, that S word, that's like, no, 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 no. But when you get married, yes, 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 yes. Okay, somehow it makes it okay. Okay, and that, that's, that's God's way. But from that kind of teaching, that's basically what the Corinthians were, were teaching, is that I got this idea that this is something dirty, that it's wrong, that it's kinky, that you shouldn't talk about it, that the, this is not appropriate, and miss the fact that God created this. It's actually how each of us were formed. And so, this is what Paul wants to just teach, is just a, the healthy reality of God's goodness in the marriage relationship in that way. He's going to correct that it's not more spiritual to just practice abstinence, to abstain altogether, to be celibate for the rest of your life, even if you're married, that's a distortion of what God created to be good. It's going to an extreme. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, he goes on and he explains this. He says, but because of the temptation 
to sexual immorality. He names the problem. Each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. So he begins with this reasoning. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality. Can we be honest? Even 2,000 years later, this still has not gone away. We're still there. I don't think any of us have really over, overcome that. You know, there's no temptation to that, okay? And so this is a relevant topic for us to address, just like Paul was addressing it in the church. And so because of this, in light of this danger, he says, it is appropriate for a husband to have a wife and a wife to have her husband. And so understanding this, um, Paul is also not saying that it's more spiritual to get married. Or it's not more spiritual to, to not, you know, not get married. Now he, he's actually going to deal later with this topic uh, on the topic of singleness. But his point here is simply to say that God has designed us to have one sexual relationship. One sexual relationship. He said, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And he'll build on that in verse 3. So read on, read on to verse 3. He said, the husband should give to his wife her congenial rights and likewise the wife to her husband. And so um, I, I believe that as we look at that verse, you know, I, I was reading it and I was like, I have no idea what congenial rights are. And so I had, had to look it up. It basically means that they share everything together. Um, there, there's mutuality in their relationship where they're treating with one another with respect. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciated another translation that actually, actually stated it like this. A better way to translate it, this might help you is let the husband give to his wife the affection due her. Let the husband give to his wife the affection due her. Okay, so you probably noticed right away, Paul is he's talking about much more than just a sexual relationship. And marriage is so much more than that. So much more. It's, it's, it's a living life together. It's trust. It's sharing. It's intimacy okay, into me, you see, okay, I can share all of my weaknesses, all my flaws, and yet you've chosen to still love me. It's, it's security. Um, that, that's, that's what he's talking about. And he's saying, husbands, give that to your wife. Affirm your wife in this. Let her know that she's secure. Let her know that she's valuable. Let her know that, that you love her, not because of what she does for you or what you love about her, but you just love her. She doesn't have to do anything for you. You love her, okay? That's what he's saying. And in the same way, wives, your husbands need that too. Did you know that? Even though they put on this, you know, they're not as emotional, okay? They don't act like they have as many needs. Um, deep down, a lot of men are genuinely insecure. And they put on a front, and they want to be loved. They want to be a provider, okay? And, and, and when you can affirm that and value them and show them that you are there through the thick and the thin, that you forgive them, that you trust them, that, that, that you are trustworthy with, with the deepest parts of who they are, 
That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, give to your husband the affection that is due him. You know, God's heart is that the marriage relationship be much more than a husband's privilege and a wife's duty. This should be mutual. Go on in verse 4. This is a culturally very controversial verse. We'll explain it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 4, he says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Now, some people will take that and be like, I'm not having anything to do with that. And I understand some of you have been involved in abusive relationships. And whatever, whenever that was the case, that is not God's design. You'll notice there is mutuality in this. Not only is the husband saying, I, I, you know, you are mine, but the wife is saying, you, you are mine to her husband. And 1 Corinthians actually um, uh, is explained by another writing of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, at our table for two um, on Friday night, uh, Cliff and Sarah actually shared this passage and explained what, what biblical submission is. And it's a mutual thing, okay? It's not a demand. Um, it's it's, it's, a, you know, it's a, saying, what can I give to you? How can I serve you? How can I treat you like I would treat myself? Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, I'll just read it for you. It says there, in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, if you're in an abusive relationship, is that actually true? No. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about a godly relationship where your husband values you or your wife values, values her husband like themselves. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated, hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so you see a husband surrendering his body to his wife, and a wife surrendering her body to her husband. And scripture says it's kind of a mystery. You know, it's hard to explain. But God does unite your souls together into one as you enter into this marriage relationship. This is a mingling of souls together. You, you really become one with one another. And what God is, God's desire is that what God has joined together, don't let man separate. You know, we, we live in a culture where divorce is easy. And uh, that should not be. You know, as, as you see that God, God designed marriage to be this picture of his relationship with his church. It's, it's a relationship where we, we, you know, we talk about love, okay? It's not, not about lust, okay? It's, it's love, agape love, unconditional. It's sacrificial. You're giving yourself to one another sacrificially. That's hard work. You're not always going to feel like it. She's not always, not always going to want to give herself to you. You're not always going to want to give yourself to, 
to, to, to him. But it's what he calls you to. And, and the point is this, again, God has chosen one person alone to meet you in that place. That you become one with only one person alone, and that is your spouse. There can be no one else. So think about this. In our world, what are there? Like seven, eight billion people in this world? I don't know the math <laughs> lately, but, but I think it's around there, okay? In this world, there are that many people, and God has said, only one. Only one. Now, you can have other people wash your car, do your laundry, clean your house, do the dishes, but God has said there is only one person that should meet your sexual needs. That is your spouse. That's a word for you. That's what he said. Each man should have his own wife. Each woman should have her own husband. Let's move on. Verse 5. Do not deprave one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so here he, he really is answering this question, should we practice abstinence completely within marriage? You know, should, should we just live a life of, of celibacy? And, and he says, no, you are not more holy by practicing abstinence within your marriage. Actually, he warns that practicing abstinence can actually open up a, a door of temptation from the enemy. Okay, and so he says, do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another, he said. The word deprive, we, we studied it last week. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8, where it says that uh, brothers were, were wronging one another. They were defrauding one another, cheating them, basically. Saying, saying, when you deprive your spouse, you cheat them. Okay? Now, I can, I can imagine some of you husbands coming to your wife and saying, hey, um, you can't deprive me. <laughs> but let me just ask the question, are you depriving your spouse of the affection due her? Because, man, you could, you could be giving yourself to one another, you know, sexually, but not actually honoring the Lord because there is no, there's no giving, giving to yourself in a way that, that you're giving affection to one another. God wants you to be intimate together in more ways than just one. Satan's strategy is actually to do everything that he can to encourage sex outside of marriage and discourage sex within marriage. And when he accomplishes either, he wins a victory. I want you to even think about this. When is the last time that you saw a healthy depiction of marriage in a movie. A healthy depiction of marriage in a movie. It's very few and far between. I want you to pay attention to that. What our world feeds us is that the grass is always greener, that it's more exciting when it's not within the bounds of marriage. But that's what leads to destruction. God wants the best for you and for your marriage relationship. Now you may say, I want to talk about this, I have a hard time showing affection. I have a hard time receiving affection, even. You may, you may be there, okay? And psychologists actually say 
that you cannot give. It's very difficult to give what you have not first received. And so maybe you grew up in a family where you didn't have parents that were really, you didn't have that example. You didn't have them treating, treating one another with true care, being honest with one another, just, just understanding each other, that they were there for each other. They didn't treat you that way either. And so you, you operate kind of with a chip on your shoulder when it comes into your own marriage. How do you work around that? How do you work around it when, when say, you want to receive that from your spouse, but he's, he or she is not giving that to you? What do you do? Should you demand it? Hey, I need affection. I need your affection. That's probably not the way to go about it. What I would encourage you is, um, first of all, if you've received some affection, if you know how to show it, start to show it before you expect to receive it. But if you don't even know how to, how to show it, can I encourage you that the way that we actually can receive it is from the Lord? Think about that. If our marriage was designed to reflect the unconditional love and grace of Jesus, his agape love, don't you think that you should receive that from the Lord before you try to show it to your spouse? I believe so. I believe that God's design was that we receive his affection before we try to show it to someone else. John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus had said this. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And if you can treat your spouse in that same way, you will be showing her the same affection that you've received from God. But receive it from the Lord. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Receive it. And this is something that you can do whether you are married or whether you are single. Let that be encouragement. You may feel lonely. You may feel like, I need this. There's this hole in my life. I need this affection that, that Jonathan's talking about. I need, I need what God has designed me for. You can find that in the Lord. And I encourage you, don't go seek out someone if you're single, if, you, if, if that's all you're trying to get, because you need to satisfy that need in the Lord first. People can only satisfy so much of your needs. A spouse can only satisfy so much of your needs. Some of, some of you, you enter into a marriage relationship thinking it will solve all your problems, only to realize that those problems still exist. Find this in the Lord. Ultimately, um, what we see from verse 5 is Paul does give one legitimate reason to abstain temporarily. And he says that you may devote yourself to prayer that you may devote yourself to prayer. He says, except perhaps by agreement, this is verse 5, for a limited time. So two words, these are really important. By agreement for a limited time. So it's not indefinite, okay? That you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
You know, we, we talk about the season of Lent. It's a season where, you know, we, we, we give something up, okay? Let me encourage you, this is not something you want to give up for 40 days. Okay, just to be honest, don't do that, okay? You're not more spiritual if you try to do that. But maybe you need to devote yourself to receiving affection from the Lord. And, and that, that happens if you spend time in, in silence, solitude, prayer, um, if you need to experience that for a limited time and take a break from one another so that you can, you can do that with the Lord, agree on it together and go find that, okay? And then, then come back together and maybe you'll be able to show each other more affection because you've, you've received the love of God for you. You're more grounded in God's love for you. My encouragement is, is definitely that, okay? But don't, don't leave it open-ended. Um, uh, as we keep on going... Um, Verses six and seven. Let, let's read these, because I, I want to talk. I want to want to talk about what um, what Paul says in regards to uh, singleness as well. This this gets interesting. He says, "Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this: I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, of one kind." and one of, one of one kind, and one of another. Now, there's actually a lot of debate whether or not Paul was actually married or not. Now, we know it's very clear right here that, that he is not married. He is, he is writing as a single man. But, you know, in Paul's day as a Jew, is that, um, is that, that when, a, when a man reached the age of 20 years old, it was actually... Um, considered a sin not to be married. And, and unmarried men were actually considered excluded from heaven and not real men at all. That's pretty extreme, okay? Now we know Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. And uh, you could not be a part of a member of the Sanhedrin unless you were married. And so there's actually, actually pretty good evidence, if you study this, that Paul previously was married in his life. Now, what happened to his wife? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe she left him when Paul became a follower of Jesus. Maybe she died. It's all speculation. There's a lot of speculation on that. But I, I do think that we have good authority from Paul when he writes about marriage, and writes about singleness, because he writes from this place where he very likely has experienced both. And so, so take his advice as, as someone that, that just, he, he's been there. He's done that, okay? And so he says in verse 8, he says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good to remain single as I am. And the Corinthians were asking, you know, what, what should we do with, with sex? What should we do with marriage? What should we do with, with romance? And significantly, significantly, Paul says here, he expresses both marriage and singleness are gifts from God. And later in the chapter, he, he explains why. And you may not think of singleness specifically as a gift from God. I talked to someone this week and he just started laughing. He was like, it's not a gift. Like, and I'm like, I understand. I understand being there in, in college and, and wondering am I ever going to get married? You know, I was, I was, you know, entering into um, my junior year 
and I was like, man, time is kind of winding down. I hope I'd find somebody at Bible college, you know, Moody Bridal, Bridal Institute, they called it, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in the Bible college world, but that's, you know, that's how it, how it goes. And yeah, you, you kind of wonder, is, does God have someone for me? And what Paul's encouragement is just like, don't worry, don't worry about it. Both are gifts from God. And, and we don't have time to go through this whole chapter, but let me just give you the cliff note of what, why he said this, this is a gift. He goes on in verse 32. He talks about those that are single, and he encourages them saying, I want you to be free of anxieties. Free of anxieties. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Ain't that the truth? And his interests are divided. And the unmarried and the betrothed woman is anxious about the things, the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, I know you may not feel like it's a gift, but if you treat it as a gift, God can use your singleness in a way that you can devote yourself to the Lord in a way that, that honestly, that, that I can't right now. You know, when I was young and in college, wasn't, wasn't married, you know, I had all the time in the world. Um, right now, you know, and as, as we've had children and, uh, you know, there's, there's less and less time that I can give to other people outside of my family. And that's just the reality. But he's saying, Paul is saying, man, for, for me, I'm free. I have all the time in the world. I can, I can do things for the Lord. And so take advantage of that. If, if you're single, like you can press into that. You are way more free um, to, to use your time in a way that, that honors God, not that marriage doesn't honor God. He's just saying this, this is a gift. It just depends on how you look at it. If you are single, I will also want to encourage you. Don't feel as if you need someone to complete you. That's a lie. You are complete in Christ. And you are a valuable part of Valley Church. You're a valuable part of our community. And, and we love you, whether you're married whether you're a widow, whether you're a widower, you know, um, whether you've been divorced, it doesn't matter what stage you are, you're a valuable part of this church. And God has you in the stage to just glorify him wherever he has you right now. Um, verse 9, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, I wish we could go through this whole chapter, um, but I do encourage you, there's a lot of things that are in this. Read it for yourself when you have questions. Do some research on it. See what the Bible says about it. There's a lot of good subjects that are talked about here. But, but keep on going. Verse 9, he says, But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better, better to marry than to burn with passion. So, all in all, marriage is not more spiritual or less spiritual. Singleness is not more spiritual or less single. <laughs> less spiritual. Um, honor God wherever you're at. God has one relationship, sexual relationship for you. And you honor God with that. Verse 17 sums it up pretty well. Only let each person live the life 
that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. So let me just ask you, what has God called you to? What has God called you to right now? Honor the Lord in that. Whether you're married or you're single, Jesus' call to you is the same. Come to me and come follow me. Come to me, he says. You're welcome to follow me. I want you. You're my bride. His love for you is greater than any spouse could ever give you. And if you are married, our role is just treat each other like Jesus. To come to him, learn from him, and do the things that he did. And so let's, let's just ask God to bless our marriage. Let's God to bless our singleness. Let's ask God to bless whatever phase of life that we're in right now. And, um, and to find contentment in learning the love of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us through your scripture this morning. God, as we, as we have received so much from this letter to the Corinthians, we, uh, we just, um, just thank you that uh, you bring up these tough subjects, Lord, to teach us, train us in your truth. And so, Lord, would you just um, put your hand on each marriage here in Valley Church right now, Lord, the ones that feel strong or the ones that maybe feel really shaky right now, God, would you come and minister to them? Help them, Lord, to pursue you as the, as, as the lover of their soul and God to join together in oneness. God, would you have your hand on, on, on the, the widows here in this church? God, those that may be feeling lonely, hurt, alone, God, would you come and be near to them? Help them to experience your love afresh. For those that are single, Lord, as they long maybe for something in the future, God, help them to find contentment in you and to know the love that you have for them, God. God, that if it is your will, you'd provide. Lord, but if not, Lord, you've given a gift of singleness to people, and Lord, help them to see it as that. Lord, whatever age or phase we're in right now, God, we, we want to join you. We want to follow you. And we thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. Thank you that you loved us when we're unlovable. And God, you welcome us to be part of your family. So God, go with us into this valley as we leave. Help us to bless your name and what we do and what we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.